How many of y'all love, right now might not be the best time to answer this question, but how many of you normally love to be outside? I mean, just are outside people, right? Yeah. I grew up hiking all the time. Now, in my family, we had four boys, so I think that probably is why we hiked so much, because all of us are just full of energy and, you know, fighting each other, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and my dad's in his 70s, and he still loves to hike. Every time he comes here, he's trying to find a new place to go walk. Here's a picture of us. This was before I got married. Uh, it's my dad and my brothers. Uh, a couple, uh, one of those is in the front is not my brother, but uh, that's okay. His name's Josh. Uh, but we hiked the Presidential Mountain uh, Trail, the mountain range in New Hampshire. That's what this picture is from. And we did it eight mountains, and we slept up there in these cabins, and it included Mount Washington, which is the highest peak in the Northeast. And uh, so I grew up hiking, I, and, and I grew up doing this stuff, and I st we still do. I've never been lost in the woods, but... I have watched shows like Survivor Man, Man vs. Wild, and Alone, so I do consider myself a survival expert. <laughs> and one of the things that I have learned from these shows is that being lost in the woods, if you have other people with you, your survival rate jumps up drastically if you are not alone. Yes, you move slower. Yes, you have more mouths to feed, but generally, being in a group increases the chances of survival because members can provide emotional support. Maybe one member of this group is feeling like quitting and the other one tries to encourage them and they share their resources. They provide a diverse amount of skills. And when we're together, our survival rate is better. Chances are over the last year, at some point, you have felt lonely or isolated. And some of you may have even been uh, surprised by how lonely you have felt. Weirdly enough, going through the holiday season can be a time of depression, a time feeling isolated from others. And you might have even thought that maybe that you were more of a loner and you're surprised with how lonely you felt. You thought maybe you didn't need anyone else. I, I can vibe with that a little bit. I'm a person that needs alone time. I retreat to isolation to get charged back up, but I can't stay there too long or I cease to feel like myself. See, other people bring out aspects of us that can only be exercised in community. You were not made to walk alone. Because you are made in the image of God, and God lives in constant community, Father, Son, and Spirit living together, and you were made in their image. We've been talking about this Greek word ekklesia, which means uh, to be called out and to be, uh, uh, to be a community, a group of people with a purpose. And that word ekklesia is translated in our Bible as church, and can also be translated as assembly, a group, a community. See, the church that Jesus died for was all about people. People living life together in community, not just sitting in rows, quietly listening. The church is not a place that you go, it is a people. And in order to be a church, this group of people must do three things together. They must worship together. 
which is so much more than just singing. They must live in genuine community with each other. And they must do mission together. This is where the church lives. It's a group of people that worship and live in community and do mission together. And if we aren't part of those three things, we need to ask the question, am I part of the church? Because if we forsake doing these three things together, we forsake each other. Gathering together like it makes a difference. Growing together like never before. Giving like we won't run out. Love should be the defining factor of our church. Loving God, loving each other, and loving the people around us enough to go. Our love for God and one another within this ecclesia should extend beyond its walls, transforming and flowing into a genuine love for our community. Last week, we talked about how we have to be in unity for this thing to work. We have to be peacemakers, seeking the peace, keeping our tongue, and then being a source of unity. Every one of us and every biblical church member of an ecclesia has a function to perform and a responsibility to fight for unity and stifle discord. But we also must live in fellowship with one another. The word koinonia is a Greek word that is mentioned 20 times in the New Testament. And koinonia's primary meaning is fellowship, sharing things in common, and community. And the first occurrence of koinonia is in Acts 2.42, and this is what it says. And we're going to read more of this, uh, this chapter here just in a minute. But let's look at this verse. It says, this is the early church here in Acts, after Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven. This is what they did, this church, this new thing, this ecclesia. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is what the early church did. They learned more about God and they lived in community and fellowship with each other. They broke bread together and they prayed together. Christian fellowship is a key aspect to the Christian life. Believers are to come together in love and faith and encourage each other. This is the essence of koinonia, this fellowship. But community is something that we have neglected for decades in our society. We don't know our neighbors. We don't really know our coworkers. Our friends only show us the parts of them that are pretty. No one wants to show the cracks. No one wants to see the weak spots, to be vulnerable. But you were created to belong. You were created to be known and yet still loved. And that can only happen in the trust and the safety of community. You want a, a good picture of community? We go back to that uh, awesome story in Luke chapter 5, where some friends had heard that Jesus was in town, and they say, now's our chance. And these friends go and grab their paralyzed friend, this person that they knew and they cared about, and they throw him on a cot, and they rushed him to Jesus. But when they get to the house that Jesus was in, the place was packed, they couldn't get in, but they didn't give up. No, they said, we love this guy, and we can give 
uh, we can help him. We can't give up on him. And Jesus can do something about this. So we're going to get this friend to Jesus. So they run up the steps to the roof. And they tear up the ceiling, trying to get their friend to Jesus. They literally bore their friend's burdens. His pain was in their hearts. They stuck by him and they didn't neglect him. Their friend had a need and they dropped what they were doing. They took the day off of work and they rushed him into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus healed this man and he became a follower of Jesus. Spiritually and physically, he was made whole. This is a picture of community, koinonia, the fellowship. See, to be paralyzed in that society was a life of poverty and pain and shame. His friends risked breaking the law. You don't just go tearing up people's roofs. They, they risked social embarrassment. I'm sure everyone was looking at these people saying, what are they doing? They're being disruptive. They're ruining this event that we're having where we're listening to Jesus. But these men didn't care. They did something drastic for the sake of their friend. And this is a picture of what we need to do for each other and our community. Knowing people enough to know their needs and help them, bringing them to Jesus. Because one of the deepest longings that each of us has is to belong and to fit and to be known. And a church without this type of community is not a church. But see, community doesn't happen on accident. It takes commitment on a part of small group of people to push past the awkwardness, to push past the differences, to open yourself up, to take steps, to reach out, to sit in living rooms together, at dinner tables together, living life together. That's the only way this happens. Learning people's name. Asking them who they are, what they do. Ask about their family. Ask about their kids. Ask to go out to lunch with them. But it's more than just laughs and meals. It's suffering together. And it's sharing struggles and opening up. It's having grace and mercy for each other's sin. And it's speaking up in love when someone's doing something that is hurting themselves. The church must be a place to find your people, your tribe, your lifelong friends. We need each other. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 says it this way. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If you had to shovel at all the last few days, you know it's better to have two people than it is to have one. You're going to see the rewards of that. It's going to be easier. It goes on and says, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, it says, if two lie together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? This is talking about survival. This is talking about making it through the next day. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There is power in numbers. And if you're alone, you are weak. 
And if you're one of those people that says, I don't want to reach out and I don't want to ask for help because I don't want to come off as weak, you're actually weaker if you don't ask for help. Take strength and courage and bravery to say, I can't do this on my own. Well, how do you make sure that you're not alone like this verse just painted a picture for us? How do you make sure you're not alone when you fall? You always walk with people. You build friendships now before life gets hard. You don't jump out of a plane and then wait to check if you have a parachute. You build friends now. You walk with people now, not just to be ready for yourself when you go through a hard time, but to be there for them too. Wife, you need women around you that will be there for you and to push you towards Jesus. There are aspects of ourselves that can only be exercised in community. Husbands, push your wife to find those friends. You might have to make them. You might have to bother them about it. Say, hey, why don't you ask that person to do something? Hey, why don't you call them because you're struggling? Wives, push your husbands to get some godly fishing buddies or gym rats or barbecue boys or people to play Call of Duty with. Doesn't have to be discussing the nuances of theology. You don't have to sit around with a commentary and talk about all the doctrines, but you do need people to share your struggles with. And this is why we do things like Men's Sushi Club. And, and look, if you haven't figured it out yet, we don't eat sushi most of the time. It's just the name. This is why we do this, though, because we can't live in community as a church if we don't know each other. And it might be a silly little thing to spend an hour together eating together, but it means something. And it's, a, it's out of the outflow of our love for Jesus that we do this. This is why we have ladies' night out and young adult events and senior lunches because we cannot be the church if we don't know each other. Parents, push your young adults towards Christian friendship. Your students towards youth group. Friend groups that have been together for 20 years. Find some new friends to include into this group. And every single Sunday, we ought to be learning more names, hearing more stories, welcoming more people into your community, inviting people to lunch, inviting people to your life group. Hey, if you've got a life group, there is no better place than to sit by somebody and then ask them this simple question. Are you in a life group yet? Oh, we're starting a new one. Hey, we're, we're meeting on Thursday night. Let me get your contact information. This is the best place to begin, the, most, the, the easiest and most effective place to start the mission of going is right here. There are people here that don't yet feel connected. Because when life is heavy, we need friends to carry the load. And friends that will point our eyes toward the hope that is found in Christ See, you don't find friendship and you don't find community. You have to build it. It takes work. It takes intentionality. You have to start now because it takes time. 1 Peter 4, 8 tells us, Above all, 
Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And then it says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is welcoming people into your life, into your home. Spending time together. People that are far away, people that you don't know yet. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The Bible is full of these one another's, and you cannot do the one another's alone. Love one another. Welcome one another into your home. Serve one another. Be hospitable. It is a lie that you can do church out alone on the lake. No, church is community. And you can worship God on the lake, but that's not church. Because church happens with one another. Church is literally a people that you were made to be a part of. And it is messy. And it's hard sometimes. But that is the miraculous thing when we push forward with grace and mercy and forgiveness. Community is an irreducible minimum of the church. Okay, well, Pastor Phil, what programs are we going to start to get people into community? Well, we do organize events for you to know each other, and we can sort you into groups, but we cannot make you be in community. Community happens when you work out the one another's together. And it happens when you commit to find people to open up to. Community is something that you commit to, you pray for, you act on, you step out and push through. Handshakes on Sunday mornings were never enough. And Tori and I have tried so hard to uh, meet and, and have lunch with many of you or invite you over to a fire or, or to spend some time with you in some way. But it's not enough for Tori and I to do this. You have to do it with each other. And not just the friends that you've had for 20 years. New people that you don't know. This is what church is, inviting each other into relationship as you walk in your Christian life. Last week at CBC Nights, Scott talked about how uh, after Pentecost, the church exploded. And chapter 2 of Acts is what we read there just in the beginning, that verse that, that talked about the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. And we read that first verse, but let's see what happens next when they did this, when they lived this out. Y'all read this with me. Acts 2, uh, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. That's worship, surrender, devotion to God's word, prayer together. And next it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. That's community, sharing life together and resources. Verse 45, and they were selling possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. 
praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is a picture of the early church that turned the world upside down. How it went from like 150 people to millions of people that we have today. It's this being replicated over and over and over again. Living in community and helping each other out and breaking bread together, receiving their food together with generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people around them. And the Lord added to them daily those that were being saved. See, part of the reason that the church is declining in America is we have been content to come listen to one person talk, to never change, never move, never look outside ourselves, never reach out, never really love God or love our neighbor, come late, leave early, not live in community. People see that and they want nothing to do with that. They don't need another thing to do. They don't want to come in here and be entertained by stories. There's so much better. You've got Netflix, Paramount Plus, Apple. You've got everything in the world that you can do besides this. The thing that makes this special is community. Because you can't find that anywhere else. This type of safety of being really known and yet still loved. Of sharing of yourself opening up. The generation after us wants nothing to do with the act of coming to church. They want to experience the group of people known as the church. And when a church lives in community like it's meant to, it makes waves and it draws people to it because it's supernatural. We saw this verse last week in John 13, 34, a new commandment Jesus said, I give to you is that you love one another just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. And what happens when you do this? It says by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We have the antidote that, for this darkness that covers this world. But we hide it when we don't live it out. We hide it when it makes it, we make it all about our little core group of people. And we uh, hoard it for ourselves. This antidote, this cure for the loneliness and isolation that is in this world. But when a church loves each other like Jesus loved the church, people are going to be changed. People are going to be intrigued. And the Lord will add to the church as those that are being saved. And this is the type of supernatural love that is, makes the difference between an alive church and a dead church. And this love happens in community. You can't love someone you don't know. You can say you love your church as much as you want, but if you only know four people's names, yeah. you ever forget your kids' names and just see the, the disappointment in you on their face? Names matter. Knowing each other matters. This love is authentic, and it shares its weaknesses. It's vulnerable. This love affects our actions and our words and our relationships. And look, you might say, I'm not an outgoing person. That's okay. 
There are ways that you can live this out. And maybe it's slower than somebody that has the natural gifts, but you've got to be intentional. You can't just say, I'm not going to try. Because we need this. One day you're going to need this. And there's someone sitting right around you right now that needs this right now. This suffering together, this sharing together, pushing past the pleasantries to the awkwardness behind the masks. Brian Saunders says this, In a world where authentic friendship is rare and belonging is so hard to find, a tight-knit community is a miracle. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called this life together, a culture of checking up on each other and living life arm in arm. See, social media gives us the sense of community, but it's not real. We know about each other, but we don't know each other. We have to live life together to be known and yet still loved. This is the type of love that makes visible the invisible Christ. This type of gospel love for each other is accompanied by gospel grace for each other. And this grace can only spill out into the streets when it first spills through these pews. And people will know that we are disciples of Christ by how well we love one another. And that starts with us giving each other the benefit of the doubt. Not looking to accuse and to trip each other up. Instead, assuming the best of each other. Avoiding a culture of suspicion and instead promoting a culture of grace. Pushing for honest, lovelace dialogues. Attempting to outdo one another with grace. Paul tells us, it, uh, excuse me, Proverbs tells us that it's a personal glory to overlook offenses. Paul tells us that love is not easily offended. And then he tells us to set out to outdo each other in showing honor. This is community. And community is not just something that would be nice for a church to have. Community is an irreducible minimum of the church that Jesus gave his life for. Without community, we don't have church. Worship, community, and mission. We were not made to walk alone. And our survival rate is much lower when we do. Your health is worth, uh, worse when you're lonely. Your mental health is worse. These things matter. It's not good for us to be alone. That was the very first thing that God said was not good when he saw that Adam was alone. But we have to fight for community. It's not easy. That means not canceling when you invited someone out to go to dinner, but you're too tired and you're too, uh, you know, annoyed. How many of you are like that, where, like, you are excited to do something a week before But then when it's the day of, you're like, man, I hope this gets canceled. I can be like that too. We've got to push through because community is built. And that means it takes work. You're not just going to stumble onto community. You've got to set out to build it. And it means you might get hurt sometimes. It means you might get messy See, my picture from the beginning looks a lot different when it looks like this. Throw up that second picture there. 
See, what you didn't see in the first picture is that even younger Phil at 30 or 28 or whatever it was, even younger Phil struggled up those mountains. I threw up. I cramped up. I wanted to give up. I almost turned back on the first day. My brothers still make fun of me. But how I made it is my dad, who was 60 years old at the time, carried my pack and his for some of the hardest climbs up those mountains. I would have never made it alone. And you won't either. We were made for community with our Creator. We were made for community with each other. But you can't wait till you're in trouble. You've got to build it now. You've got to walk with God daily. You've got to be intentional now for your sake and for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Our love for God and one another within this ecclesia should extend beyond its walls, starting here but transforming and flowing into a genuine love for our community. One of our deepest longings is to be known and yet still loved, to know the real us and still be accepted. And a church without community is not a church. Its community doesn't happen by accident. It takes a commitment on the part of a small group of people to push past awkwardness and to push past differences and to open yourself up and to take steps and to reach out and to sit in living rooms together and dinner tables together, living life together. And you might try with somebody and they might not be ready for that community yet. That doesn't mean you focus in on that person and get bitter and angry. You go and ask somebody else and you open up to somebody else. Because not everybody's ready for it when you are. It's living this life together. It's more than just laughs and meals, although that is the amazing blessing of this. It's suffering together. And it's having grace and mercy for each other's sin. And it's speaking up in love when someone's hurting themselves. The church must be the place that you find your people, your tribe your lifelong friends. We need each other. No excuses. Push past the awkwardness. Push past the insecurity. Because we can't settle for anything less. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. One of the ways the church perhaps is the most like the world is in this aspect of lacking real community. We're too busy. We've got things going on. We're running all over the world. But we have to make time for this because this is what the church is. We don't have the church without community. And it may seem overwhelming. And if you're a person that this is not natural for you, it might seem overwhelming to begin to build this. But just decide to take it slow. To be intentional. 
to have one more conversation today than you had last week. Maybe it's just saying hi to the person next to you before you leave. Uh, Pastor Phil told me to say hi. Now I can't say hi because now they're going to think that's the only reason I... Just put all that self-talk aside that stops you and hinders you from reaching out because it's not just for you, although it will be for you. It's for them too because this is the church. God, help us, Lord. Help us to love one another like you love the church and gave yourself for it. God, help us to know each other, to know each other's needs. Help us to know each other, to know when each other is hurting. Help us to know each other enough to know each other, uh, to know when each other needs prayed for and, and to, the, to know the deepest parts of some people. And in a, in a church this size, we can't know everybody, God, but help us to know people. Help us to reach out to those that might be isolated, to those that might feel alone. Maybe it's a senior adult that hasn't been checked on in a while, or somebody that's bound at home because of sickness. God, help us to be people that think about others. God, help us to be people that notice when others aren't around. God, help us to love each other. Help us to know each other and have grace for each other. Help us to be the church that you want us to be. Maybe you're here today as we continue in an attitude of prayer, asking God to to search our heart for anything between us and Him or between us and someone else. Maybe you're here today and you haven't yet accepted Christ as your Savior, you're not yet maybe a Jesus follower. It's not that you're against it, but you haven't taken that step yet. Today you can do that once and for all. Never again being worried that you might not know God. See, God commended His love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5, 8. We all sin and we all have distance between us and God because of our disobedience. But God loved us anyway. We've got no greater friend than the creator of the universe. Because he pushes past all that. And he sent his son to die in our place. God in the flesh. Jesus lived a perfect life for 33 years and he laid down his life in our place. What a friend we have in Jesus. Jesus, the friend of sinners. Jesus, the friend that sits closer than a brother. This Jesus laid down his life to die for all of our sins. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Romans 10, 13. See, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave on the third day and he broke the chains of sin and death once and for all. And we can be back in relationship with God if we call on him and ask him to forgive us, to save us. You can do that today, right now. It's not a magic prayer. You don't have to give a certain amount or 
go through some classes or anything like that. It is simply your faith in what Jesus did. It's not about the amount of faith either. God is the one that is great. The Bible says our faith can be just like a mustard seed. You can call out to him right now with something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. God, forgive me. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If you called out to him and, and you meant it, and just saying words, you're calling out from your heart. I'd love for you to write that on your connection card before you turn that in. I chose Jesus because you just made the biggest decision of your entire life. Put your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you. And I want to be able to walk you through what happens next. It's not the end of something. It's the, most, it's the beginning of the most amazing journey you could ever have.